I'm so glad that you are joining us today for our online service. My name is Shedi Smuts and I'm one of the pastors at Connect Church and I get to end off our series today for the sake of the gospel which has been taking us through the book of 2 Timothy. And this is Paul's last letter to his disciple Timothy and these are in a sense his last words that he is writing to him. We have seen how Paul recognized the brokenness of the world in which he found himself and that is what makes this book and the words he's written so pertinent to us today because I think we'd agree that the same stands true for all of us. And as much as he reminds Timothy of some deep truths, these same truths should encourage and motivate us today. Because even though we are living in a, a broken and a fallen world, we mustn't forget the importance of the gospel. For the gospel is the answer to the brokenness of this world. We have been encouraged over these last few weeks, like Timothy, to guard the gospel, to persevere in the gospel, to keep preaching the gospel, and if necessary even, to suffer for the gospel. We're not going to go through the passage verse by verse, but as an overarching theme, I have called today's message, Finishing Well, with Faithfulness, friends, and no regrets. So let's read together from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 22. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Paul and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the manuscripts of the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. So firstly, finishing well with faithfulness. We have a book at home called Speeches That Change the World. And there are some very inspiring speeches in here, spoken by men and women throughout history that are still quoted today. 
Now Paul's words in verses 6 to 8, they stand out for me as some of the most inspiring words from his lips and worthy of being found in that book. I know that they are words that are frequently spoken at memorial services and while they are most apt for that occasion, I also take them as, as great words of inspiration for how to live now so that at the end of our lives we can look back and say that we are finishing well. We all want our lives to have meaning, to feel that our lives on this earth, that they matter, that they have purpose. And these words of Paul to me really speak to the heart of that. And I certainly know that when I'm faced with death, I want to be able to speak these words with real honesty. To say, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Now, what does it mean to be poured out like a drink offering? Now, this figure of being poured out, uh, it comes from the Old Testament. And this drink or offering that was poured out was often wine, which would be poured out on the place of sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 35, 14, um, when Jacob sets up the pillar for worship at Bethel, he dedicated it by pouring out a drink offering on it. The law also commanded the priests to offer a drink offering of a hen of wine along with the lamb of the burnt offering. And they would pour the wine out as part of the sacrifice that was offered. Now Paul compares himself to that glass of wine. And just as that wine was poured out on the altar of sacrifice or on the ground, so he saw that his life was being poured out like a sacrifice for the Lord's work. But Paul's life wasn't just poured out at the very end. His life was actually being poured out the whole time that he lived. And he speaks about this in his letter to the Ephesians. He gave up everything that was important to him in order to serve God. Paul's whole life after encountering Christ as his Lord was a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I understand that that idea of being poured out as a drink offering may not sound very attractive to a lot of people. I mean, who wants to give up their own pursuit of happiness and be poured out on the altar of sacrifice? Except, are our lives not being poured out anyway? There is a sense in which everyone's life is being poured out and sacrificed for something. Some people pour out their lives for their ambitions and for their jobs. Others will pour out their lives for their hobbies or for a sport. Others for financial rewards or security. Nate Saint was a missionary who flew Jim Elliott, who's been very well known and spoken about as a missionary, and, and three others on a mission trip um, to a remote tribe in Ecuador. Uh, where all of the five of the missionaries actually ended up being killed by the tribe um, after they landed. But before his death, uh, Nate Smith wrote these very significant words. He said, people who do not know the Lord, they ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for all the years that they have wasted. When we pour out our lives for anything other than the sake of the gospel, we risk looking back and seeing that our lives have been poured out for no good and no lasting purpose. 
our lives will inevitably be poured out for something. The question is, on what will you have poured it out? Will you pour out your life on your pursuit of happiness? Or will you choose to offer your life to God, to be used as he leads for the sake of the kingdom of God? Paul then says, the time for my departure is near. Now the word translated as departure, it's a, it's a metaphor for that loosing from the moorings um, in preparation for a ship to set sail. And so Paul knows his death is imminent and that he's about to set sail from this life onto the next. He's about to leave this mortal place and sail on or go on to eternity. And as he does, he is able to look back over his life and say with real conviction, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now in chapter 2, Paul has already introduced this metaphor of a soldier and an athlete. And I've fought the good fight is significant for us as believers today because it's a stark reminder that the Christian life is a struggle against evil within ourselves and in the world around us. And earlier in this letter, Paul has reminded Timothy to endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our Christian life is a fight in that we face this never-ending never struggle against evil. And that is why we have to put on the full armor of God to give us the offensive and defensive armor that we will need for the battle. So that at the end of our days, we too could look back and say, you know, I have fought the good fight. I've taken my responsibility as a soldier for the kingdom seriously. And therefore, I have finished the race. Now, what stands out for me in these words of deep satisfaction <clears throat> that Paul speaks is that he's finished, not that he's won the race. And so often in the competitive world in which we find ourselves, the emphasis is always on the win. But the only win in the life of faith is finishing our race. Victory is all about finishing. And that speaks to the need for endurance, for resilience, for pacing ourselves for the long haul. This life of faith, it's not a sprint. It is a long distance marathon and it is a commitment, requires a commitment to run all the way to the finish, no matter the obstacles that we find along the way. Now, if you've supported any marathons, you know the agony that so many of these runners go, that go through. There are times that they, they cramp up. There are times that they just feel exhausted. There are times when their bodies seem to betray them and just don't function like they want them to and they need them to. There are times of just hitting the wall because of energy depletion. And what an apt description for life. There are times in this race of life that holding on to faith is actually really tough. There are times of great suffering. There are times that we just feel that we're in agony. Times that we're just exhausted. Times that we don't fill our lives with the right sustenance for life and faith. And we hit the wall. And how do we continue when we just feel like giving up in this race? I've been one of those supporters, screaming out encouragement for the broken athletes, cheering them on 
And some of my most notable memories in this regards is, you know, supporting the Comrades Marathon. And I have witnessed beautiful sights of other athletes in the race stopping their own race to put their arms around a fallen runner, of athletes picking up and, and helping carry or support other people, other fellow runners, until they're able to get their strength back. Friends, we don't run our race alone. It's our race to run, but we have others running alongside of us. Lean in to the assistance of others. Be encouraged that you're not alone. There are others running this race with you, and you're also surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering you on, who have gone before you and have now finished the race. Persevere so that the end, at the end you too can say, I have kept the faith. These five powerful, powerful words are the ones that I want to depart this earth declaring. I've kept the faith. I have remained faithful to my Lord and Saviour. My personal trust in the Lord does remain. It is well with my soul. And finally, there is the reward. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now the crown in the Greek games was a laurel wreath awarded to the victor. But in the case of the Christian race, the crown goes not only to Paul, but to all who have longed for his appearing, which describes all of us who love the Lord. There is a reward in store for us. So are you living in such a way now that when your time comes to depart, you can say these same words as Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then finishing well with friends. Verse 9 says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. There are a lot of names mentioned in this passage and some of the comments may seem really random for us in terms of relevance today. But these words, they show a very human side to Paul and they speak in some, into some very real human needs. Paul indicates a strong desire for the presence of Timothy. He wants Timothy with him and he wants him there now. And Paul has been left with, you know, only Luke with him and really he just needs more support at this stage. Later on in verse 21, Paul says, do your best to get here before winter. Because if Timothy was to get to Rome, he would have to leave quickly or he would, you know, lose that opportunity forever um, to be able to assist Paul in those last days um, before his death and execution. Now, as we know, Luke, um, this great fellow believer who's with him, he's the author of the third gospel. He was a frequent companion to Paul on his travels. Um, Luke was an educated man, a doctor, and loyal to Paul, loyal to the gospel, and loyal to the Lord. But he's the only one who's with Paul now, and wonderful though he is, Paul is lonely um, for his brothers. And the reasons he's lonely, he says, is that first of all, Demas has deserted him, and then two other brothers have moved on to minister in other areas. 
Demas is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. He is one of those that Paul calls a co-worker. Uh, his name is linked with Luke. And the cause of his defection is that he loved the world. Now, Paul lang Paul's language here, he deserted me. It just shows that the deep depth of his disappointment. He feels abandoned by a fellow believer who at one time was working alongside of him for the gospel, but has seemingly now dropped out of the race and not kept the faith. We Christians are to love the people of this world and to give ourselves to ministry in this world. But our love is not reserved for this world, but for the world to come. And the account of Demas is a warning to what happens when our hearts wander. Now, Crescens, there's no other reference to him in the New Testament, but um, clearly this is a brother in the Lord who is now left to minister in Galatia. Titus was a co-worker with Paul. He accompanied him and Barnabas from Antioch to Jerusalem. He served the church in Corinth, and several years later, Titus and Paul, they traveled to the island of Crete, and Titus was left behind there on the island to continue and strengthen the work there. This mention of Titus indicates that he was with Paul during Paul's final Roman imprisonment. And so we can surmise that his ministry in Crete must have been over. And Paul now sends him to, minister, or to evangelize rather Dalmatia, an area which is now called Serbia and Montenegro. Now Paul asks Timothy to, to hurry to be with him, but also to collect some things en route. And the first important collection is a special person, Mark. And Paul says to Timothy, I need you to bring Mark with you. Now, Mark was a member of Paul's circle. And he's here commended by Paul for his usefulness to the ministry. This really warm reference to Mark is, is really, it's worth further mention. Because there's a backstory to the relationship between these two. Mark was a member of the team that went with Paul on his first missionary journey. And for some reason, Mark abandoned the team in Perga and returned to Jerusalem. Now, Mark was viewed by Paul because of this as a deserter. And when Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them on the second missionary journey, Paul refused. And his refusal was so adamant that the team actually ended up splitting up. And Barnabas and Mark went one way, and Paul and Silas, they went another. So we don't have the details of the story that tell us how Paul and Mark reconciled. But there's evidence that this division is over. And we see this even by the time that Paul wrote to the Colossians. Mark was even with Paul in his first imprisonment. So clearly Mark has grown and matured through his earlier failures to the extent that he's now the man of choice for Paul to request because of his helpfulness to the ministry. Friends, for the sake of the gospel, we cannot allow disagreements and disappointments to break down the relationships within the body. And what a great reminder here of the importance of forgiveness and giving people another chance when they fail. Mark has grown now into this beautiful asset for the kingdom of God. Tychicus was another special person to Paul, having been a messenger for him um, with his letters to the churches in Ephesus and Colossae and even to Titus. And during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, Tychicus had been with him. And it seems that it's Paul's request now. He's on his way to Ephesus, perhaps even to release Timothy so that he's able to come now to Paul in Rome. And this is his request to him. When you come, bring the cloak that I left and my scrolls, especially the parchments. 
Now the cloak that Paul was referring to was probably this outer garment of heavy woolen material that was circular in shape with a hole in the middle for the head. And these cloaks were used to protect against the cold and against rain. Um, you know, its bulkiness might be why he left it behind at Carpus's house on a previous visit. But Troas wasn't far from Ephesus, and which was where Timothy's headquarters were, and so it would have been very doable for him to collect this on his journey to Paul in Rome. Winter was coming, the dungeon was cold, and Paul was taking care of his physical needs as much as possible. Now the scrolls and parchments no doubt refer to Paul's books, um, probably both of papyrus and more expensive parchments. Now the parchments themselves were, were skins that were especially prepared for writing, and they suggest documents of some value because vellum was expensive. And we really don't know what the contents of these was. Maybe it was an early copy of one of the Gospels or copies of Old Testament books, um, potentially legal papers of some kinds. Who knows if it wasn't a, a written account of the Lord's doings and sayings. But Paul needed these parchments and books to feed his mind and to feed his soul. So Paul was not only looking after his relational needs, his physical needs, but also his mental needs. John Stott has this following quote. He says, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. And when our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this is not unspiritual, it is human. We must not deny our humanity. Then finishing well with no regrets. In these next verses, we learn lessons from Paul on how to ensure that we have no regrets in dealing with deep hurts and disappointments. Verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be in your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. We don't know anything more about Alexander the coppersmith other than what we find in these verses. But it seems that he brought intentional harm to Paul and was strongly opposed to Paul's teachings and to the gospel message. Basically, Alexander was not a nice man and his evil actions warranted a warning for Timothy to be on his guard. But rather than having revenge plans against Alexander or holding on to bitterness, Paul chooses to place him in the hands of the Lord for judgment. He's clearly living out his own words from Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and later 19, which says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me read in verse 16. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This first offence trial was probably a few years prior during the period of Paul's first Roman imprisonment and there's clearly a deep hurt and disappointment to Paul that at his first offence, his Christian friends, they were either silent or just not there and present for him. But we can see in his response to this, may it not be held against them. 
that there's no spirit of judgment against them, and in fact his desire for his Christian family is for healing and for forgiveness. And so in both these instances of being on the receiving end of hurt and, and deep pain, Paul is first of all really honest about what he felt and how it impacted him. However, he is determined not to let a seed of bitterness fester. And in both cases, he brings these to God. The one situation by its nature leads him to place that person in God's hands for judgment. And in the other situation, he brings it to God for his forgiveness. And Paul's also able to recognize that even though from a human perspective, he was alone at that trial, he was not, he was never entirely alone. And he acknowledges and the experience of the presence of God being with him in a really significant way. And this really strengthened Paul. And he's able to now look back at that time with praise for what God did through him at the defense trial. Through Paul, those in places of authority, probably in this case um, before magistrates who might even have been close to the Emperor Nero himself, they heard the gospel, fulfilling what Jesus had spoken to Ananias at Paul's conversion. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And so this defense of Paul provided an opportunity for the preaching of the gospel and also resulted in some form of deliverance for Paul too. And then he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick and Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Now Priscilla and Aquila were a dynamic duo that are mentioned um, by name six times in the New Testament, always together as a couple. And they exercised leadership among the fledging churches and were always held in really high regard. Paul had previously called them his co-workers in preaching the gospel. He had praised their, their willingness to risk their necks for him. Twice noted that churches met in their homes and they are now clearly ministering in Ephesus and they get a special shout out from Paul. As does Anisiphorus, who um, we know has searched for Paul in Rome. Um, in 2 Timothy 1, he speaks about Anisiphorus being one who often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Now, Erastus, whose name just happens to mean beloved, he is a co worker that's mentioned only here. And he had lived in Corinth when Paul wrote to the Romans and he was the city treasurer. Trophimus had been with Paul on his return journey from Greece to Asia and was from also from the church in, in Ephesus. And the final four mentioned are probably just Christian leaders from the Roman church who are known to Timothy. Um, only Linus here is known to history. Linus, according to accounts of the early church fathers, um, became the second bishop of Rome, um, succeeding Peter. Now, all these names that are mentioned, they just remind me that people matter. And we are meant to work together as a team and as a family for the sake of the gospel. And all these men, names mentioned, they might seem like random names to us now reading them, but they were flesh and blood people who Paul was in relationship with and they mattered greatly to him and they enabled him with their partnership in the gospel to be all that he was meant to be. So friends, finishing well with faithfulness, friends and no regrets. 
I just want to conclude with some of the key challenges that um, I've spoken about already that come out of this passage. Number one, who or what are you living your life for? Will you pour out your life on your pursuit of happiness or will you choose to offer your life to God to be used as he leads for the sake of the kingdom of God? Number two, there will come a time when we all depart for another place. How is your lifestyle reflecting that reality? Number three, are you living in such a way that when your time comes to depart, you can say these same words as Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Number four, you are in a spiritual battle. Arm yourself. Number five, you're running a marathon race and you're in it to finish. Pace yourself. Number six, there are others running alongside of you. Lean into their assistance. Number seven, guard your heart so that you're not lost to this world. Number eight, for the sake of the gospel, we cannot let disagreements and disappointments break down relationships within the body. Number nine, we need each other. Look after your brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel. Number 10, look after your physical and mental needs for the sake of the gospel. Number 11, deal with hurt and disappointments so you have no regrets. And number 12, we are partners together for the sake of the gospel. We each have a role to play and doing our role faithfully is an encouragement and a support to others. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us in the difficult times in which we live. Help each of us to run with perseverance the race that you have set before us and to finish well with your help. Thank you for the body of Christ around us and for the support that we are to one another for the sake of the gospel. Give us grace to look after each other well. Help us to keep the faith and the teaching that you have entrusted to us. And enable us to pass it on faithfully to the next generation who can then pass it on to the next generation. I pray that you would guard our hearts and keep them ever devoted to you. And thank you for the promise that you never leave us or never forsake us, but are with us right until the end. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us and have a wonderful week further.